So we're on the fourth um, week of our Lent series, looking at what we can learn um, from Jesus about the spiritual essentials, and we're using God's, God's gospel, John's gospel to do that. Um, we've seen how Jesus is our compass, and how he gives us nourishment, and how he's our light and source of life. Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 10, um, Jesus the Good Shepherd. It's a really familiar passage to us, and I just think it can, it can wash over us because of that familiarity and lose some of its power. And I just really wanted to try and help us to maybe capture more of the power of God's words. Um, so we're going to have the Bible reading in a slightly different form tonight, but first just a couple of um, things to set the scene that might help us as well. I just think in a, a passage about shepherds and sheep, it's important to know what that would have meant to Jesus' original listeners. Um, so shepherds and sheep featured heavily in their history. Um, their great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all shepherds, and their two greatest leaders, Moses and David, were also. So shepherd had become kind of synonymous with one of God's appointed leaders. And so to claim to be the shepherd of God's people was a claim to divine leadership. So I think that's worth bearing in mind. And that is obviously how the Pharisees would have seen themselves as divinely appointed by God, shepherds of the people. Um, and of course, God himself was the chief shepherd overall. So I just want us to try and be impacted by this as it's brought to us in a certain different way tonight. I'm going to invite Andy up to do that now. I tell you the truth, you Pharisees, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but by some other means, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. You understand? I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not Listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me 
will be saved. They will come in, they will go out, and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the flock and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters them. He runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, that are not of this sheep pen. And they must come also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. My father loves me The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I give it up of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So it is from John chapter 10, and if you want to follow along with it, um, it's in the Bible on page 1076. And it contains a series of illustrations and images, all based on this theme of shepherds and sheep. Um, I think it's helpful to recognize that this isn't one unified parable, but it's a series of different images that Jesus is using to develop his theme. And I think he's drawing two major contrasts, the contrast between true and false shepherds and the contrast between true and false sheep. So in this first part of the passage, in verses 1 to 6, Jesus is setting forth and describing a scene that his listeners would have been very familiar with, and everyone would have agreed with and known what he was saying. Yes, 
the shepherd of the sheep is the one that they recognize and they follow. His is the voice that they listen to. And I think it's also helpful if you want to look at this more when you get home to look at the passage that came before, because Jesus is actually referring back to the incident where he healed a blind man on the Sabbath. And there was disagreement about whether Jesus had done this of God or whether he was demonic. And there were difference of opinion. And the blind man recognized Jesus, recognized his voice as coming from God, but the Pharisees didn't. And that, I think Andy captured that kind of anger, actually, against those who would not listen to his voice and would not recognize him as coming from God. Well, the Pharisees didn't really understand what he was saying, and he went on to give them another image, speaking of himself as the gate and the good shepherd. Again, we don't necessarily have to try to merge the two together, um, but in Jesus' time, actually, the shepherd could also be the gate because he could physically lie across the entrance. There would be a sheepfold made of um, stone and a gap. That was the gate, or that was the gap that the sheep went in and out, and the shepherd would lie across that to keep the shepherd in and the wild animals out. So Jesus as the gate, the first point I want to make about this is the eternal security that he brings us. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. I was tempted to kind of skip through this when I was preparing because I thought, yeah, Jesus is the way to eternal life. We all know that, but I felt like God pulled me up and thought, I can't gloss over that. It is the amazing thing about our eternal security. And sometimes we can become blasé about it, can't we? But it is an amazing truth that we have that security of knowing we have eternal life, of knowing where our eternal future lies. It's a wonderful thing. And if you've become a bit blasé about it, maybe just take a few moments to thank God again and appreciate the wonder of that again. And if you've not yet decided to enter through the gate into eternal life, Jesus is here tonight. It might be an opportunity you want to consider, and there will be time at the end to respond however you want. So Jesus provides us with eternal security. We know where we're headed. But there's another aspect to the security he provides as the gate. The gate's function is to let the sheep into safety, but it's also a way out. It's not permanently shut. We need to go out for freedom, pasture, and growth. And Jesus provides his followers with both security and with abundant life. The coming in and going out that he talks about in verse 9 is intricately linked to the fullness of life of verse 10 that he wants to give us. Because we can't have life in all its fullness if we don't have freedom and room for growth. I think we saw this during the COVID pandemic, how hard it was, that difficult balance between staying safe and preserving physical life, but at what impact to our well-being and, and our fullness of life. Interestingly, in verse 4, it, although it says, when Jesus has brought out all his own. I'm a bit of a Greek nerd, so I was interested to see that that verb was actually ekbalan, which means to throw out. So there are some sheep, it seems, 
who would quite like to stay within what they perceive as the safety of the fold. And he maybe needs to give some of us a little kick out. Because as far as the Christian life goes, the security that Jesus offers is found not in avoiding risk, but in the presence of the shepherd, the good shepherd, wherever he may be. So knowing this, we as his sheep don't need to fearfully huddle in the fold, afraid of what's out there. Rather, we can come in and go out. And our security in Jesus is not just a question of making a one-off choice for eternal salvation. It means constantly choosing every day to listen and follow Jesus the Good Shepherd. When Andy was um, speaking, the thing that struck me was just how Jesus kept talking about listening to his voice, hearing his voice, listening, so important. Israel never stopped being God's people, but they did often stop living under the blessing of um, his presence and his protection. When they stopped listening, when they stopped following, when they went their own way. And it's the same for us. We have entered through Jesus as the gate. Our eternal salvation is secured. But will we also enter into the abundant life that Jesus wants for us now in this life? And what can hamper or thwart us experiencing this life in all its fullness? Well, Jesus tells us that there's a thief whose intention is to try and steal. And there are two, I'm sorry, it's more Greek here. There are two different words for thief in Greek, and they reflect two different types. Um, there is the thief who is like the um, bandit or mugger who robs openly with violence. And then there is the sly um, secret thief. The word is klepte. I'm not sure if the slides got stuck. Yes, thank you. Um, from where we get kleptomaniac. This is the stealthy thief. And this is the word that Jesus uses for the thief. So this thief is not stealing, obviously and overtly by violence, but secretly and stealthily. So what are the things that can steal our joy, harm our relationship with God, the subtle things that we might not notice? Well, as I've already alluded to, I think risk aversion resulting probably from fear is one of the biggest factors. We think that in order to be safe, we have to avoid risk. We have to avoid anything we think might negatively impact our physical safety, our financial security, our reputation, our family's well-being. However, Jesus shows us that it is possible to risk and even to lose everything while still remaining utterly safe. He gave up everything, even his life, yet he remained completely safe because of his relationship with his father, with whom he was one. And the same is true for us. We can have complete security in our relationship with Jesus, the Good Shepherd. I found that um, video actually very interesting because I've been thinking about um, a mission trip that our family did quite a few years ago. And thinking back on my own life, I look back and recognize that the times when I felt most alive and fulfilled are the times when I've risked most for God. So the time I had after university doing a year working in a church, which was really hard and challenging, but I grew so much. And then the time when, as a family, we did a six-month mission trip with YWAM 
and Tom had to be willing to resign his job, although fortunately they kept it open for him. We took our children out of school, and it was scary, but it was such a brilliant time, and we all thrived so much. I'm also thinking of a time more recently where we felt challenged that God wanted us to temporarily move out of our home to allow someone else who needed a home to stay there. And there are also many other things on a much smaller scale, such as the time when I took all my courage in my, in my heart and I spoke to a stranger in a car park with a Bible verse, or just the more routine ones where you feel prompted to ring someone up and say, how's your day been? These are all things that make us feel alive, that lead us to truly experience life in all its fullness. But in order to experience them, we have to be willing to risk. It might be financial security, it might be risking our children's stability, it might just be risking looking silly. I'm not advocating just for being reckless for the sake of it. I'm advocating taking time to listen. Again, we come back to that, listen to the shepherd's voice. What is God saying? And when we hear, we need to have the courage to step out in obedience, whether it's a small or a big thing. And there will be another voice in your head, the voice of the thief. It will be trying to tell you to ignore what God is saying. And it will give you all sorts of very reasonable sounding justifications. It's too risky, it's downright irresponsible. It wouldn't be fair on the children. I'm just so busy now. How do I even know that's God's voice? And that's why it is so important to get familiar with our shepherd's voice. We need to be able to recognize when he's prompting us. It's something that Jesus emphasizes over and over again in this reading. So how do we get to know his voice? I mean, obviously, the classic Christian response, spending time in prayerful reading of God's word, meditating on it, opening ourselves to God's spirit, asking for his guidance. And I think it's really about responding to the small things. So I've said, as I've said, maybe ringing a friend, asking how they are, cooking a meal for someone and taking it around, striking up a conversation with someone on the train. And once you respond to those and you see how that was God and he's at work and he's working through me, it's so exciting and it encourages you to be braver and to step out and maybe do the bigger things, to maybe move from the secure, well-paid job to the not-so-secure one. That's the story of my husband's life. <laughs> and the story of my life is learning to trust. <laughs> and I'm preaching to myself because I don't do enough of it and I really want to do more. I want to step out in faithful obedience. And when you have those instances, share it with your friends, share it with other Christians because it's so encouraging and that's what builds faith. When we hear that someone else has done something and God's been at work, we think, wow, yeah, and maybe I could do that. We need to encourage each other. I've got two more practical points to help us. I think one thing about living the abundant and full life that Jesus wants us to do is that we need to consciously take time to examine our lives. If we don't, it's so easy either just to drift along in apathy or to be so busy and overwhelmed that we haven't got time. 
we can become unaware that we're repeating unhelpful patterns in our life that draw us away from God and eat away at the joy that he wants for us. So I meet with a spiritual director regularly, and I know others in the congregation do. And it really is a great way of making sure you don't drift. It keeps you accountable. It forces you to take time to examine things, and you can talk them through with someone else. It's so helpful. If it's something you're interested in, I'd be really happy to speak to you afterwards. I'm sure Richard would, or Sharon Seal, I think is is a great person to speak to about that. And another practical way of listening to God's voice, much sort of easier thing to do, is through the use of an ancient prayer practice, the examen. It was first proposed by St. Ignatius in the 16th century, and it's just a way of consciously looking at our lives to discern what is bringing me life and joy, which he calls consolation, and what's bringing death or desolation. It's very simple, five to 10 minutes with five basic steps, which you see up there. You can look it up online if you want to follow it. The things I was particularly interested in with this link of life in all its fullness is looking for things that bring us consolation, experiences that cause us to feel fully alive or at peace, or joyful, or our true selves. These are the things which draw us close to God, life in all its fullness, and we need to pursue more of that. And then desolation, experiences that cause us to feel drained, frustrated, irritated, isolated, less than our best self. This is when the thief is stealing our fullness of life, and we need to recognize those and avoid them. Yeah, maybe I'll just share from my personal experience what I've found through using the examen. Just really mundane things, you might think, but they can make a big difference. So I discovered that being out in nature just really brings me joy and makes me feel alive. So taking the time to go for a walk, to be in the woods, or just look out the window at the birds brings me life and joy, and I try to do that. And I've discovered that wasting time on my phone and on my tablet just brings me down and makes me grumpy and isolated and is not good for me. It's desolation, definitely, and that's a work in progress to try and avoid that. The final point I'd like to make about security that Jesus wants to offer is um, about the fact that we are a flock and the Christian life is not a solitary one. Sheep are meant to live in flocks. If you see a sheep on its own, it's a lost stray. So the security that Jesus offers us is that of belonging to and living within the flock. And we tend to see our Christian lives in terms of our individual relationship with God. And up till now, I've been speaking in those terms about me hearing God's voice personally for me, me following, me, me, me. But God has called us to live in community. And all communities need some sort of leadership structure. Although Jesus is the chief shepherd, and we're all trying to listen to him individually, he also gives us human shepherds who he appoints. Tom and I have been enjoying watching Clarkson's farm and his struggles with his flock of sheep are 
quite entertaining if you haven't watched it. I do recommend it. Um, the sheep definitely didn't recognize Jeremy as their shepherd and their leader, and it led to a lot of chaos and a lot of swearing. Um, as Christians, though, we can all too easily become a disobedient, dysfunctional flock, refusing to listen to our appointed leaders, each going our own way. And thinking back to the Israelites in the desert, this was actually often them. Their first response to any difficulty was to moan and grumble against their leaders. They were a pretty dysfunctional flock. As soon as they came out of Egypt, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They wanted to go back. Later, they questioned Moses' leadership over the lack of water. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? When they're on the point of entering the promised land, terrified by the reports of the giants in the land that they've got to conquer, fearful, they say, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And as I read these things, the th interesting thing that struck me is though the complaints are all, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, they grumbled against Moses, actually God treated it as grumbling against him, as his response. How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will this wicked community grumble against me? And the really tragic thing is that this grumbling and critical attitude led to that whole generation of Israelites, apart from Joshua and Caleb, failing to enter the promised land. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, said the Lord. And just as God entrusted leadership of his people, the Israelites, to Moses and Aaron, Jesus has entrusted leadership of his flock, his people, firstly to his disciples and then on through the ages through duly appointed church pastors and leaders. And Richard is sitting here actually in that long line. We are to respect and submit to the leadership of those whom God has appointed over us, even if they aren't perfect, which they never will be. Sorry, Richard. I'm aware that this is kind of a hard topic for us to address in our culture especially when um, today in our society, our leaders set us some awful examples, don't, uh, don't they? Incompetent, self-interested, <laughs> abusive sometimes. Also, many of us are highly educated. We've been taught to think for ourselves, to challenge, to stand up for ourselves. But I honestly don't think we can just write off the whole concept of Christian leadership and a submission to those whom God has appointed us as leaders. Christianity is countercultural, and this is maybe one of the prime ways in which, for us today, it's so for us and, it, and it's hard and challenging. It doesn't mean we can't appeal respectfully to our leaders and voice our disagreement, but they are ultimately responsible not to us, but to God for the decisions they make. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for what would advantage would that be to you?
I know a lot of us long for more of God's presence. We want revival, we want healings, we want to see God's presence among us. And sometimes we get frustrated. Why isn't it happening? Do we not have enough faith? Are we not praying enough? But what if one of the problems is that we aren't obedient, obedient enough? We grumble too much. We're a bit dysfunctional. We're too much like the Israelites in the desert. If we long for life in all its fullness, for abundant life within our church community, as well as in our individual lives, maybe we need to look with humility at our attitudes. Maybe we need to repent of past grumbling and determine to stop future grumbling and criticism. And then perhaps we will see a fuller release of God's abundant blessings on us as a flock, as well as us as individual sheep. So just to summarize, we talked about the security that Jesus brings us, security in the knowledge of eternal salvation, security through experiencing abundant life, security that's based on the presence of the good shepherd Jesus with us, which means we can take risks. And there's also security in belonging to God's flock. So as I ask um, Nick to come up and Charlotte, just be thinking about how God might have been challenging you, either through Andy's presentation of Jesus' words or through something that I've said, and how you want to respond knowing that Jesus is our truly good shepherd, who we can trust utterly, who lays down his life for us. We just invite the Holy Spirit to come and use this time to minister to us. to put on our hearts the particular thing it is that the shepherd wants to say to us. To identify any areas where our joy or our fullness of life has been stolen away. And we need to consciously address that. Or to show us if we do need to repent of any grumbling or critical attitudes.